Hey guys, this is Michelle Pilipich, registered dietitian, certified personal trainer, and your host of the Simply Intuitive podcast, where we are talking about all things intuitive eating, active living, and breaking down what is true versus what's a myth so that you can focus on simple and sustainable ways to actually improve your health and wellness. This episode is very exciting. I'm talking to Ella Schwakert, who is not only an amazing sports dietitian, but also one of my very dear friends. Ella and I met in grad school in our nutrition program at UNC Chapel Hill. Um, so it was really fun to chat with a friend as well as share her wealth of knowledge with you about sports nutrition. Ella is not just a sports dietitian, but she is also a former professional athlete. So she has so much to share, so much to teach you. It's a really great conversation. And if you're thinking, well, I'm not an athlete, definitely not a professional athlete, like I don't need this information, um, think again because we talk about even, you know, what's helpful for the recreationally active person. You don't have to be pursuing pro sports to benefit from thinking about fueling like an athlete and fueling for your activities. So even if you have the goal of just living a more active lifestyle and incorporating more physical activity into your day, which I think is a great goal for anybody, then this is going to be an episode that will really help you. And make sure that you check out the links in the show notes because Ella has a new group coaching program starting very soon. Um, if you're listening to this at the time it comes out, which will be January 19th, I believe it begins on the 24th. So make sure you check out Ella's Instagram. Um, yes, I can confirm it starts January 24th of 2023. So if it's before then, check Ella out on Instagram, join her class. You will definitely learn so much. But for now, let's get to the episode. Okay. Hi, Ella. Welcome Hi. to the show. Yay, but I'm so glad you're here. I know. I'm so excited to be here. Thanks for offering to have me on your podcast. Um, of course. Okay, <laughs> Ella is like one of my best friends, so this is great. Yes. <laughs> when you meet me and we're like, oh my God, thank you. Like, duh. <laughs> um, I'm very excited to talk. So Ella and I went to grad school together. We both did the Master's in Public Health, um, an RD training program at UNC in Chapel Hill, where we bonded over many biochem study sessions. <laughs> so many. All those days. Yes. So Not many. all were pleasant. After no. <laughs> but we made it out the other side. Um, so you are like, you're my go-to expert on sports nutrition. You know so much and are so well-trained in it. Sports nutrition is my like newfound passion just as of my personal experience getting more into marathon running last year. So we're going to get all the details from you about all things sports nutrition. Yes. So let's start off with you just telling us um, who you are, what you do, and like how you got into this world of sports nutrition. Yeah. So um, you, also, you are my go-to person for anything eating disorders. So I think in this respect, we collaborate very well. Yeah. Um, so yes, my name is Ella Schwakert. Um, Like Michelle said, we went to grad school together, had a great time. 
more fun outside of school than actually taking those tests. <laughs> um, but after grad school, I worked at UNC Hospital for a little while. I did clinical nutrition. You know, they always tell you, get your clinical experience and then do other things. Um, so I did that. Um, it wasn't my favorite thing, but I did, I did enjoy it. I really was missing that sports nutrition component, though. I had always had a passion for sports nutrition just with my background in soccer. And so I've always been kind of interested in that. So when Abby, um, a friend of mine who owns her own physical therapy spot said, hey, do you want an office in my facility? I said, yes, question mark. <laughs> this is scary. <laughs> definitely something I want to do. So I kind of dove in and now I've been doing this private practice for I keep saying about two years, but I think it's only been like a year and a half and some change. Um, so I specialize, <laughs> yeah, something like that. So I specialize in sports nutrition and intuitive eating. Amazing. Two things I love. And okay, you are so humble. My background in soccer. Please expand. I, I, you started with your nutrition career, but you need to talk about your college career, your soccer career. Like, tell us about your sports life. <laughs> you know what I've realized from just posting videos on my Instagram is like, I love asking the questions. Like, I love hearing and learning about other people, but I hate, I hate talking about me. <laughs> but hey, I'm on your podcast, so, so here we go. <laughs> I'll do that time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, I grew up playing soccer. Um, I really had a passion for it. It was definitely my first love. You know, I've always played, I gosh, I can't even remember not playing soccer. That's how long it's been. <laughs> um, but I was fortunate enough to play in high school and then go on to play in college. So I played at Florida State University um, and then went on to play pro for a little bit. So I played for a Russian team very briefly until I tore my meniscus. <laughs> and then I played in Scotland for about a year. So cool. Yeah. Amazing. And I love just bothering you for like those highlight videos from college of people literally talking about how you're like the most amazing player they've ever seen. It's incredible. <laughs> um, that doesn't happen. <laughs> there was one really impressive video. So yeah. that was great. And I don't know if I ever told you, but I played soccer until in like fourth grade. I like no. briefly played soccer. And when I was little, little, like when they make you rotate through all the positions uh -huh. before you like choose your position, I everyone had to like take their turn playing goalie. And so when I was playing goalie, someone scored on me and I cried and I never played goalie again. <laughs> It was like traumatic. Oh, that's so funny, Michelle. <laughs> so that's my soccer experience, not playing pro in Scotland. Is that your last soccer experience? I I mean, one of. One of. No, no, I think I played but soccer was not my love or passion at all. But Hilarious. Other things. Yeah. So, oh my gosh, so funny. So, okay, you have that amazing background. So. And then it translates professionally. You're just a wealth of knowledge with all things sports and all things nutrition. So I want to start kind of broadly with like, 
overall, someone comes to you for sports nutrition, what are the most important things that you recommend for athletes and active people? Yeah, so kind of the foundation of my practice, and I think the foundations of yours as well, um, is intuitive Mm -hmm. eating. So if someone does not have a good relationship with food, that is not going to translate well into being a successful athlete. Um, I actually did a presentation recently for um, a D2 college in Florida, and I did a presentation talking to them about, you know, how intuitive eating is so important and kind of the framework. And I actually had someone stay on after and just say like, hey, Ella, this resonates with me and I want help. And so we've been working together on the side. Yeah, just helping her through her relationship with food. And she's seen just amazing results on the field. So not only intuitive eating, but intuitive exercise as well. So she was overtraining a lot. She wasn't eating enough. And now she's fueling properly. She's hydrating properly. And most importantly, she feels mentally and physically her best self. So that is my calling in this profession. (laughs) Um, Yes. So that's kind of the foundations. And then just thinking about, you know, those things that I did in college, I remember, you know, this is division one soccer. And I remember doing things like skipping meals, um, not eating before you go out at night. Um, I remember for a year, I didn't eat a whole lot of protein or like meat protein because I had a roommate who was vegan. And I just was like, okay, I guess I don't need to do that anymore. Now looking back, I'm like, "Uh, no wonder you were sick all the time and you had so many injuries. (laughs) Um, So really getting um, getting that foundation is so, so important. And then, you know, are you meeting your minimum needs, getting people to that? And then just going through the basics. So the first thing would be, eating consistently. So making sure you're getting that blood sugar stability throughout the day, Um, not just for performance, but how you feel mentally, (laughs) super important. Yeah. Um, And then going into balanced meals. So now that you're eating consistently, kind of what does the quality of your meals look like? Understanding what protein, carbs, fats, produce are, and then how to create balance with that. And then, and this is just kind of like, a rough outline. This is not, <laughs> I do not sit all of my clients down and like, this is what we're going to do. <laughs> right. Um, but then going into like balanced snacks and then things that are more complex, like hydration. Um, I have athletes, especially right now. I mean, it's in North Carolina, excuse me. It's like 90 degrees every day. <laughs> and I have my runners out there and my Ironman training and some of them when they first come to me they don't have any electrolytes so they're just like oh i i drink water and that's it and so i really talk to them about you know what is your sweat rate um if they need to get um sweat rate testing i'll do that and then just kind of seeing where they're at with electrolytes some of my ironman athletes get up to having a thousand milligrams of sodium per hour um, so it really just depends on the person. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So much of it is so individual. And 
you really opened my eyes to the hydration because I first got more into this last year after running the marathon, Yeah, which I called you about afterwards. And I was like, Ella, that was a disaster. (laughs) I was upset that the fueling went so wrong. I was like, I'm a dietitian. I should know how to do this. But sports nutrition is a different world. So I certainly have to learn and still am learning it. Um, So, and we hear this term of like the sweat rate testing. Can you explain what that is? How it works. Yeah. So it's really evaluating, I mean, on a basic level, um, you're not that I like to ever measure weight. <laughs> Whenever I ask my clients, like, do you have a scale so that you can do a sweat test? I'm like, I hope you don't. <laughs> um, I hope you have to see. <laughs> yeah. Um, but getting your weight before, getting your weight after, seeing how much you're you have intake during. So um, you know, how much fluid are you having during? And then how long is your training session? So really using those markers to calculate what your sweat rate is, and then making sure you're at least hitting 50% of that during your training. Um, Yeah, and if someone needs to be, you know, further evaluated for their sweat, it's kind of expensive and bougie, but you can do like (laughs) testing, which really assesses the concentration of your sweat. So some people sweat a lot, but they're not, you know, outputting a lot of sodium. Some people don't sweat a whole lot, but they are, you know, losing a lot of sodium. So, yeah. 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 So in terms of hydration, I'm just personally so interested for like on an average day, this is someone who is like doing their training. How do you change hydration? Maybe if someone like doesn't have access to doing a sweat test. Yes. So with that, and this, I would say, you know, 99% of the cases are this way where we just trial. Mm -hmm. So everyone is so different. So you want to assess, you know, is the person a salty sweater? So do you notice crystals around their eyes on their body after a training session? Do you notice um, that they're drenched in sweat? I remember (laughs) at Florida state, I, um, Nike was our sponsor, right? So Nike would come and they would take a picture of my friend. This is Janice. She now is like a European Champions League champion. Uh, she's such a baller. But oh my God. Take a picture of my friend Janice, who was like normal sweat patterns, whatever. And then they would take a picture of me who like is completely drenched. The shorts are sticking to me (laughs) and they would use that to basically formulate a product for sweaty people. (laughs) Oh my God, that's hysterical. (laughs) You are like the poster child of sweat. (laughs) So needless to say, I am a salty sweater. I know how to look for things like that. Um, Yeah. (laughs) Are you a salty sweater? You know, I don't even know if I know that. Okay. I need to figure it out. Yeah. So I don't think so because I always think of like, you know, I've seen friends who after a run, like it looks like they just were swimming in salt water, you know, and you can like see all of the salt. And I don't notice that. So maybe I'm not, but I'm not sure because I do think that overhydration has been a problem for me in the past. So maybe I needed more electrolytes. I don't know. Yeah. So looking for those those signs. So the crystallization around your face and arms, 
Um, sometimes you'll even taste the salt, you know, if the, your sweat is dripping into your mouth, which is kind of gross, but <laughs> good way to assess. <laughs> and then sometimes you'll see on clothes, like if you have, if you're wearing like black shorts, for example, and you see a wave on your shorts after they've dried, like a wave of like salt deposits. Okay. I don't think I am. Okay. But then just, yeah, testing what feels best for you. So maybe that's adding, you know, the recommendations are like 400 milligrams per strenuous hour. So maybe for you. Sodium. Of sodium. Yeah. And that's just kind of an average. Every person is going to be different. A football player might have like lose 2000 milligrams of sodium. Um, Someone who doesn't sweat as much may lose 100, but that's kind of an average. So just testing out some different items and some different um, ranges of milligrams and seeing what works best for you. Yeah. And what about like ounces of water on like an average day versus a training day? So it's going to depend on for one, your sweat rate. um, Mm -hmm. And then for two, how many pounds you lost during your training session. So for every pound you lose, you want to replenish 16 ounces of fluid. And that's on top of your basic needs, which just to do like an average person would be half your body weight in ounces. Right. Well, that was a deep dive on hydration because I'm so nervous. <laughs> yeah, but I'm like, wait, where can I like borrow a scale from? Because I don't have one. And I'm like, good. It would be a fun test. Yeah, I know. I'm like, probably will never have one, but but there can be useful information from it. All depends on intention. Yes, which I'm sure you talk about. That. Um, okay, so talking about like hydration on average day, rest days versus training days. I also want to talk about food obviously that's what we talk about on those days because i have so many clients who will talk to me about their food intake over the course of the week and say you know oh i i didn't work out this day so i didn't need to eat as much and then i did work out this day like how much should i add and really a lot of people see it as this like direct equation of i'm outputting more i need to eat more and then if i'm resting i need to like really cut my calories so can you talk about food recommendations for rest days versus training days and race days. Yeah. So I totally agree. A lot of my clients will be like tracking, you know, tracking their steps, tracking how many calories they burned, etc. And really that does not translate into actual <laughs> caloric need. Um, you right. can, your body can actually learn to be more efficient at different exercise patterns. So If you are untrained, then yeah, you're probably going to burn a little bit more. Um, If you're a trained athlete, then your body's going to learn to be more efficient at that certain exercise range. So that's just a little snippet. I never want my clients to be thinking about calories. I know you don't either. Um, So please, if if you have a watch or you're at, I guess one of the best examples of this is I remember going to Orange Theory and they would like track your calories for your workout. I hated that. (laughs) So bad. So if you're at a place like that, just totally disregard what that number says. It doesn't mean a whole lot. So really the difference between a rest day and a race day is dictated by your body. So we talk a lot about listening to your body, how you're feeling, 
Um, if you're hungry, by all means, that's your body telling you that you need a snack. So it's not so much about what we think in terms of, you know, nutrition written down, like X plus Y equals whatever. It's more just your body is going to tell you what you need. So on some days you might feel like, whoa, I'm super hungry. On those days, your body might need a little bit more nutrition. So maybe you're sick or maybe you could be getting sick and maybe your body needs a little bit more energy. Um, whereas on those days when you're not feeling as hungry, um, maybe you need a little bit more time to rest. So things like that. So paying attention to your body first and then um, thinking about there's different athletes plates that you can use, which I typically do. So there's light, moderate and hard training, which can be helpful. You know, if you don't really know how to gauge how much to eat, but um, you should never be having less than the light training day. <laughs> you should always yeah. be meeting your basic needs on every single day. Yeah. And I mean, I remember last year at the end of marathon training, I was so hungry. I would be eating like between every client session. So literally every like 45 minutes, I was like, I need another snack. <laughs> and the very end is when you're like, tapering and decreasing mileage and I was probably the hungriest so it's just like your body knows what it's doing exactly and some day, some people think like oh rest day um I don't I don't need to eat as much or I can eat just a small amount but that's totally wrong because your recovery and repair is super important so like if you have right a hard training day and then you have a rest day and then you have another hard training day then that rest day is going to pretty much look like those hard training days. <laughs> um, you're going to need that to refuel. Yeah. It's like, that's when the real like growth and repair and improvement happens. Right. Yep. Yeah. So that is all super helpful. And that's also why like sleep is also important. Yeah. Right. And like all of that are there. Cause a lot of times, I'm throwing you a curveball here. I didn't <laughs> actually plan this question, but I'm thinking of it now. You know, when I talk to clients about health, and I'm sure you do the same thing, I zoom out to the big picture of like food's not the only thing that affects your health. Exercise isn't the only thing. It's also about mental health, emotional mm -hmm. health, sleep, stress, environment, all these different things. Yeah. So what are the non-food things that you coach your clients on that are helpful for performance? Oh gosh. Yeah. So sleep is a really big one. Um, mm -hmm. um, someone that I follow posted recently that if, if an athlete gets less than, I think it was like less than seven hours per night of sleep, there's like an increase in risk of injury. So, and then every hour that goes under that, you know, you're going to have a higher risk. Um, so that's something that's really important. She also in that post was talking about how there's no, upper limit. So with the average person, some people can get more sleepy if they've had too much sleep, but that doesn't necessarily translate to the athlete. So if they need more sleep, by all means, take it. That does not oh, staying up late and getting outside of your circadian rhythm. <laughs> um, yes. yes. And it, it does happen when people travel. So, you know, for a lot of professional athletes, they're traveling from the East Coast to the West Coast, West Coast to the East Coast. So that can have an impact um, on their circadian rhythm. 
Um, obviously hydration is a huge, huge one. Um, stress, you know, stress management is so important. If we think about when we're stressed, um, I always ask my clients, you know, is your nutrition affected when you're stressed? And they're like, uh, yes. <laughs> um, and for some people that means they don't have an appetite when they're stressed. So they kind of have to push past, you know, when we talk about intuitive eating versus nutrition basics, we also have to understand sometimes your body's not going to tell you that it's hungry when it's stressed. And so recognizing, Hey, I, I am stressed. So even if I don't feel like I need a snack right now, it's been three to four hours and I, I probably should. Um, yeah, there is like a very pra practical, logical side to intuitive eating too. It's not just like free for all, oh, even you're hungry, blah, 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 whatever. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And that's where that kind of comes into play. Um, I know we'll get to that, you know, talking about intuitive eating and sports nutrition and kind of those discrepancies. Yes. But yeah. Yeah. So in terms of circadian rhythm, this is something that I find so fascinating and I love using it to myth bust about intermittent fasting. Hopefully you don't have any athletes who try and do intermittent fasting because I read this study that was so interesting that talked about intermittent fasting and how like restricting the hours that you eat doesn't give you any metabolic benefit if you're starting to eat later in the day because you still want to eat in accordance with circadian rhythm and have like those early meals so that you're fueling while you're like awake and active. Yeah. Um, which I thought was so cool. It makes so much sense. So how do you educate athletes on like circadian rhythm and how that um, plays a role and how they can support it with their behaviors? Yeah. So I always try to get athletes, you know, along a more normalized pattern. So some of my clients will, they've just always stayed up to like 2 a.m. This makes me think of Jackie, actually. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, our night owl friend. <laughs> yes, we have a friend who can stay up late. I've never been that person. But, um, you know, slowly getting them to, okay, if your bedtime is 2 a.m., let's get it to 1 a.m. And then let's get it to 12. And, you know, kind of going from there. But, um, yeah, circadian rhythm plays a, a really big role. I think I love that, um, gosh, throwback to biochem and Dr. Coleman. Um <laughs> <laughs> both terrifying and such an amazing woman but I just remember yes. one of her slides it kind of goes through the day and like at 8 a.m for example you can expect a bowel movement and your yes. most your most like uh your best athletic output happens at like 3 p.m or something it's just super interesting how your body is kind of along this clock right yeah so like working with just nature and like those natural rhythms. Yeah. So helpful. And it does kind of like go with the sun and make like the world and our environment. Yes, exactly. And then um, you mentioned, you know, like do any of your clients do um, intermittent fasting? And I remember I had one client who did come to me and he was like, Ella, this is what I do. Um, this is what my doctor told me to do. Um, but I'm also an endurance runner. And what we know about um, intermittent fasting is that there's really not a whole lot of difference between intermittent fasting and just any type of caloric restriction. 
And we know that anything that goes against how we're feeling, um, for example, with intermittent fasting, you're going to feel hungry in the morning. Um, So your body is trying to tell you something and you're not honoring that. So when he came to me, he was like, Ella, this is what I do. Um, I'm also a runner. I do marathons, et cetera. And I said, you know, we can work together if you're willing to give up intermittent fasting. Um, so th- we, we think about stress too, like when you are running and you're not fueling your body properly, your stress hormones go up. So that's not helpful for us. <laughs> um, and so your body is under more stress than the average person is going to be anyway. Um, and then it's just not, doesn't make you feel good throughout the day. You know, you don't have stable blood sugars. You're kind of teaching yourself this, uh, restrict and then binge mentality. So we actually had a couple of meetings and he seemed the first meeting, he seemed like, yeah, I'm ready to give it up that I'm done with it. And then the second meeting, he was like, how do I incorporate intermittent fasting with my endurance training. And I was like, I, <laughs> I love you as a person, but I just have to say, I don't think we're the best fit. Um, and that's kind of how we left it. We're still friends. I see him come into the facility sometimes, but just have different views. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. It's tough. It's tough. And like, it's also tricky because some people, I don't know. I do think a lot of people probably are under fueling intermittent fasting, like doing different types of restriction, and maybe they're still able to compete in their sport or like do the activity they want, but they just never know what their full potential is because they're never actually supporting themselves in the most helpful way. Yes. So it's like, maybe it can work, but like, what is your definition of working? And do you want to find out how good you can really feel? Yes. Oh, I love that. Cause so many people like don't even know what that feels like. Yeah. Yes. I know. I always tell people like, you don't know how good you can feel until, or you don't know how bad you feel until you feel better. (laughs) And then you realize, whoa, I, that was actually terrible. (laughs) This is amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Which is like applies to training, applies to eating disorder recovery too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So, so that kind of transitions us into our next question, because just thinking about like, somebody who is an elite elite athlete or doing Ironmans, doing these like intense sports sports versus the average person, a lot of what we're talking about and a lot of intuitive eating, like it all applies. And the thing, you know, talking about the balanced plate and the athlete's plate you were talking about, it's, it's not really groundbreaking. Like these things are so applicable for anybody who wants to be active. Mm-hmm. So what would you say are the nutrition differences, like the advice that you would give to the recreational athlete versus somebody who is pursuing either more intense activities or they're more of like an elite athlete. Yeah. So like you mentioned, there's a ton of overlap. Um, So we think when elite athletes come to us that, you know, of course they know how to fuel their bodies. (laughs) They definitely know nutrition. Look at them. They're training at this elite level. And the truth is, they don't know. (laughs) Um, So unless they've had some form of training, I know, you know, now it's so different in the collegiate setting. So 
when I went to college, we had team dietitian. Yeah, we didn't. So we had basically one dietitian for all of FSU athletics. And this was a PhD student who just kind of like filled in and was there to answer any questions. And she was amazing. Um, I love her a lot, but it was just one person. And now, you know, at a lot of the athletic departments, there's two dietitians, there's five dietitians on staff supporting their athletes. Another thing that happened um, in 2015 was this deregulation with what you're allowed to supply the athletes with. So when I was in college, they could only supply us with items that said energy on it or said some sort of athletic benefit. Um, so when we got to practice or to training, we didn't have snacks available. So if we didn't bring snacks with us, we didn't have anything before we went on the field at 3 PM in Florida and trained for an hour and a half. (laughs) Um, only because it wasn't a specific, like performance targeted food. Correct. Um, what? So crazy. And Now, you know, when I started interning, you know, I've interned at a lot of different facilities, but at the University of Virginia, that was the first year where they had this deregulation. So part of my job, I would say most of my job was going around to different athlete rooms and providing them with all of the things. So um, one of the benefits of my job was, you know, it didn't pay a whole lot, obviously, but I got to have unlimited snacks. <laughs> That's a great bird. <laughs> yeah, but anyway, they're able to supply the athletes with like yogurt and chocolate milk and um, applesauce and you know anything that you can think of. So many things they were able to provide, which I think was a huge difference for a lot of um, collegiate athletes. But moral of the story. Yeah. They just don't know unless they've had some type of access to a sports dietitian in some form. Um, Mm -hmm. I remember watching a webinar recently. This was like the dietitian for the Tour de France or at that time, like Sky Sports, which is like they were like the powerhouse. Um, And he was just talking about this research article saying on I think it was on professional soccer players in the Premier League and just looking at their intake pre and post game versus what the recommendation recommendations suggest. And they were way low <laughs> on what the recommendations are. So even people who do have access and maybe know the information may not know how to apply that well or know how important it actually is. Um, anywho, <laughs> yeah. Um, so it's kind of the same steps that I would go through before, you know, getting those, are you an intuitive eater? You know, a lot of elite athletes also struggle with disordered eating. So addressing that, then going through the basics again, you know, understanding balanced meals and snacks, and then, you know, the more elite or the more professional you get, the more specialized ultimately your recommendations are. So a lot of that would go against intuitive eating, but a lot of pro athletes need to know exact amounts um, because they're not hitting those 
and it's hard to get to some of these recommendations. So really understanding um, what that looks like. So I don't ever calorie count. I don't ever count my clients macros, but sometimes if I've evaluated, you know, that they do have a good relationship with food and they more so just want to know like, hello, what do I do? <laughs> I'll do, I'll do an exchange based meal guide, which basically yeah. gives them, you know, it helps them to understand portion size, the different food groups and how to ma manipulate them in a way that is best for performance. Yeah, so that really touches on what I wanted to ask you about, like, can athletes be intuitive eaters? So it sounds like there's a wide range and there's a lot of nuance, like the basics apply to everyone, but then where does sports nutrition and intuitive eating kind of like collide and go against each other? Yes. So, um, yeah, when you asked that question, I was like, absolutely, they can. Um, my whole practice is literally based on this. So if not, I wouldn't have a business. Um, but right. there, <laughs> there certainly are some things to consider, um, exactly like you were mentioning. I think the biggest ones, I was just trying to think of examples when you said that, um, mm -hmm. is just like saying, I'm not hungry in the morning. That's a huge, huge one. So, um, if you're not hungry in the morning, maybe evaluating where that stemmed from. So how long have you not been eating breakfast for, you know, how many years have you gone without breakfast? So your body learns not to expect it at that time, but we know that breakfast is so important for athletes and kind of flipping what the traditional American diet is, which is lighter breakfast moderate lunch and then a super heavy dinner which makes sense you know america is like get to work and then finally you have time at night <laughs> um right, right. To make food but with the athletes i really try to flip that so having your bigger meal in the morning moderate lunch and then you know whatever you want to do for dinner it doesn't necessarily have to be light but you want to have more in the beginning of the day because that's what's gonna fuel you for your workouts. We don't wanna fuel you for bedtime. It's not as it's not as effective. So that's a big one. That goes along with like, yeah, that goes along with the circadian rhythm as well and just like natural patterns of metabolism. And I think everyone, like athlete or not, even I mean, hopefully everyone is pursuing like some sort of physical activity. So yeah, we should all be thinking about that pattern yeah. instead. And I'm actually like had arguments with the boss before about this, about oh, like really? the meal plans this way. Yeah. Because meal plans were set up with like the breakfast as the smallest uh -huh. and then getting incrementally larger. I was like, why? <laughs> and the, the only reason was because, oh, that's the typical American diet, which I thought, well, can we flip that? Be. <laughs> yeah. 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 Or should we be teaching that in a different way? Exactly. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. And then some other examples, like, um, I'm not hungry. So this is a, probably the biggest one. Like I'm not hungry immediately after exercise. That is so, yeah, yeah, so normal. Um, and another discrepancy of like, okay, I know that I'm not going to be hungry, but what I also know from sports nutrition and sports science is that it's so much more beneficial for me 
to have carbs and protein immediately after my exercise. I think someone else did a post recently on just carbohydrate glycogen storage. So when you have carbohydrate immediately after training, and then if you have carbohydrate two hours after training, the difference that has on your glycogen stores and your capacity to store more glycogen is more effective immediately after. So we know that from the research. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So kind of putting that into play, even if your body is telling you no. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I know I talk with a lot of clients just about tips for like eating when you're not hungry, having things when like it's not sounding the most appealing. Mm -hmm. What are your go-to tips for that or like particular post-workout meals that you recommend? You mentioned chocolate milk. Yes. I love chocolate milk, but really any combination of protein and carbohydrates is good. So I, I love chocolate milk. I could do milk and, you know, a granola bar after, and I would be okay. Some people are like wanting to bomb when they hear that. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But, um, a cheese stick and some pretzels, you know, any combination of the two. One thing you want to be mindful of is not having too much fat right there because we know that delays gastric emptying and um, you want to get those fueling products into your body as quickly as possible. Awesome. So yeah, those things that like seem like, oh, maybe it's going against intuitive eating, like you might not be hungry. I also think, I think like, yes, like you mentioned, there are some places where maybe athletics seem counter to intuitive eating, especially with the more elite elites that maybe do get like into those nitty gritty recommendations of like grams of protein or whatever it may be. But I also would say that's still intuitive eating. And it's just about the perspective because if you are, yeah, like what we were saying, just it is more like practical and logical. And if you are making these more planned out decisions with the goal of feeling better in your body while you're doing your activity, that's absolutely intuitive. Like it's not just based on hunger and fullness, which you are teaching people, which is amazing. Yes, totally. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. because the ultimate goal of intuitive eating is to feel physically, mentally, and emotionally pleasant. 100%. Yeah. So like putting intention into that goal is totally fine. And I think a lot of people then think, oh no, that's diet culture. But like, no, you can be intentional about feeling good without making it a diet. Yeah, exactly. And it doesn't have to be, I have to hit these exact recommendations. You know, you can take those recommendations and kind of gauge what that looks like for you. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I feel like the number one thing that was hammered into us in school was that like everything exists in a range, everything. It's never like one specific number. So for sure. That's a perfect example. Yeah. I also think another one too that you might, you know, go ahead. I was just going to say, I always will tell clients when they're getting hung up on calorie numbers that like, our answers on a test would be marked incorrect if calories were listed as one number and not as a range. So it's not one number. Yeah. Yes, totally. Um, 
And then going off of that, one example I, I was just thinking of that you probably get a lot just with talking to runners and different things is like, I can't fuel during exercise. <laughs> Do you ever get that? Uh, yeah. Yeah, mm -hmm. a lot of people struggle with it. And it's something I mean, before I started like marathon training and doing longer distances, I never thought it would be possible for myself, but now it's like, oh yeah, I absolutely need it. <laughs> yeah. What would I do without it? Yeah. Um yeah. and another myth about that is like the gut can't be trained to accommodate nutrition during. Um and granted, we're talking about you know, exercise lasting longer than that 90 minute window, um, which mm -hmm. is, you know, definitely requires fueling, but yeah, it can be a game changer. Yeah. So there's a lot you can like train your body to do that might feel unnatural, but is still beneficial. Mm -hmm. Totally. It doesn't make you not an intuitive eater. Yeah. Cool. Okay. So, I mean, I had my last question to you for like, how do you weave intuitive eating into your work, which I feel like we've answered in a million ways. It's, <laughs> it's so clear you do it in every sense. Um, so just to wrap up, is there anything that we didn't talk about? Um, any other tips for athletes who want to be intuitive eaters that you would want to give? I don't think specific tips, but I would just encourage those individuals out there who are like, this can't be done. Um, it absolutely can. So I'm coming from a place where, you know, in grad school, I wasn't behind intuitive eating. I wasn't like a big proponent right. of, you know, I remember having we, conversations we about this. Yeah, we totally had debates about this. So like, if yeah, you're yeah. resistant, that's okay. You're coming from a place of curiosity and really just trying to learn more. And so I said to myself, I am going to read this book and if i take anything away from it great if i think it's a bunch of garbage cool um and i read it and i was like oh my gosh this is basically like how i feel <laughs> without like putting it into words um so i think some people become intuitive eaters without even thinking about it and i think for some people having that tool of like reading the book is super helpful because it is it does provide that framework um but yes for anyone out there who is like i don't know about this intuitive eating thing and exercise like i am coming from the place of being a professional soccer player i know how to stick to a plan grind it out and execute it <laughs> but what i'm trying to tell you is that it doesn't have to be that way you can absolutely enjoy your food find satisfaction and fuel for optimal performance. So well said. <laughs> yes. So well said. I love that. And yeah, intuitive eating gets kind of sensationalized. And yeah. I feel like when somebody actually sits down and talks to you or I, they realize, oh, wait, like, yes, we're trying to meet you where you're at. It's okay if you're not fully on board. There are so many ways to make it work for you. Mm -hmm. um, just amazing advice. Yeah. And also, thank you for helping me to get on board with intuitive eating. I feel like you and like my I think we had a great effect on each other. Yeah. 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 That's awesome. Find people in your field, women supporting women, <laughs> always be learning from people. Yeah. We do it all the time. It's so fun. Cool. So, okay. I do have one last like fun question that I like to ask people, yeah. which is if this were your last day on earth, what would your ideal 
day of eating be? What would be like all the amazing things that you want to eat in one day? Okay. So my, like breakfast, my initial thought is like, and this is how I think of when I'm on vacation. Like I used to think of that vacation mentality of like, I can have any food that I want and as much as I want. And now when I think about like my ideal day or when I go on vacation, I'm like, it just has to be three good meals. You know, I don't need like 20 pieces of cake. It's actually, it doesn't feel good to me. So I don't need to do that. (laughs) Um, So I think kind of my go-to meal, which is silly, and this has always been my meal growing up, is tomato soup and noodles. (laughs) That sounds so ridiculous, but that's what I grew up on. And it's totally been my go-to ever since so that's my favorite meal of all time (laughs) and then anything with tomatoes what about breakfast do you do a savory breakfast do i do a savory breakfast yeah sometimes um i could do and i will say i'm not the cook in my family my husband does that (laughs) so (laughs) sometimes he'll make omelets (laughs) yeah and things like that i do love that um but yeah, my go-to is oatmeal or cereal or something like that. And a tomato-themed day is your favorite. <laughs> I, yeah, I'm just thinking about That's all hilarious. things tomato. Like if you think salsa, um, spaghetti and meatballs, yeah. like all of the things. Tomatoes are I mean, very, all they, yeah, they're very versatile. They are. That's, yeah, I might be sleeping on tomatoes. Do you grow tomatoes? I don't, but I've always wanted to. (laughs) Yeah, you should. My mom grew some. This is actually a funny side note. I gave my brother for his birthday years ago, like a joke of a gift. It was from Five Below, this like little $5 tomato plant. And I forget why it was relevant that year, but I gave him this plant. And my mom actually like planted it, grew tomatoes, and then got this whole like cover for it in the winter because she's in New Jersey, like so it would survive the winter. And this plant like really was thriving for a while. Wow. I don't think it's there anymore. But <laughs> I was going to say, um, how many tomatoes did you yeah, get out of it? Yeah. yeah, I think it was only a few like small ones uh-huh. sprinkle in a salad or something. Um, but that might be your calling to grow some tomatoes. <laughs> Maybe that's what I need. <laughs> yeah, amazing. Cool. Well, so for anyone who wants to follow you and keep up with what you are doing, where can people find you? Yeah, so my business is called... Fuel NC Nutrition, so like North Carolina, because that's where I am. So you can find me at fuelnc.com, and you can also find me on Instagram at fuel.nc.nutrition. And I will put links to that so everyone can find it very easily. Well, I'm so glad I got to chat with you. Yeah, thanks for chatting. Always fun. Um, And we'll have to chat again sometime, talk more things about sports nutrition. So go follow Ella. Keep up with everything. Check the show notes for links and um, tune in next time. And that is the episode. I hope you enjoyed that chat with Ella. 
I know I had such a blast chatting with her. I always do. Um, she's a great dietitian and just a great person. And like I mentioned at the beginning, she has a new group program starting on the 24th. So if you're listening to this in real time, definitely head to her website, head to her Instagram and check out information on that course if you're interested. All of her information is linked in the show notes. Um, If you enjoyed the show, you can leave a rating and review. You can post it on your Instagram story, tag me, let me know you're listening, send me a DM with any episode requests. I love hearing from you guys and I create this content totally for you. So whatever you want to hear, let me know and it'll come your way. Um, But I hope you enjoyed this and that you will tune in for the next one. I will see you then. Bye.